This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here on Sirius XM 132. I'm Sadie Hunt. And I'm Nick Ashburn. And we are here every Thursday evening from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 6 p.m. on the West Coast. We're going to be talking to uh, talking about MD Ally. It's a next generation 911 navigation solution that proactively engages low acuity EMS callers right before they utilize the most high cost avenue for care. So we're going to break that down for our listeners with the founder, Chanel Fields. Chanel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Chanel, before you tell us what MD Ally is, I think a great place to start with these entrepreneurial stories is, what's the pain point you're solving, and and how did it strike you that this was a problem that needed to be solved? Yeah, great question. So, the the main pain point that we're solving is related to the overutilization of finite emergency resources. So, this is something that I've been looking into for the past two years. Um, and the impact of non-emergency callers calling into 911 and utilizing emergency care for fairly non-emergency reasons, for example, toe pain, sore throats, uh, headaches, all sorts of reasons um, that really don't demand that level of care, but drive the most cost. So Chanel, Um, hold on. I just want to come back mm -hmm. to something you said. So like 911, what's your emergency? Hi, my toe hurts. Like, I mean, is yeah. that what we're talking about? I don't like. I don't want to minimize people's experience, but like, that's that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's funny. I I use that example because it's actually the one that's the most frequent when I travel to different EMS systems around the country. Uh, unsolicited, that's the one that comes up the toe most. Toe pain. People call for toe pain. Yeah, and, and um, is that typically? Is it gout or I mean, like what? Do you have any sense as to like what the toe pain ends up being? Kind, of, I mean, that right. sounds weird. Because arm pain is one thing, and and a you know a heart attack signal is another. Is toe pain associated with something larger than we might be? You know, it, it runs it it runs the gamut. Uh, foot pain, toe pain. Um, I've I've encountered you know people maybe when it's cold in the winter and their their toes go numb, oh. or they've they've stubbed it on something. Maybe think they need stitches. And they will call an ambulance to take them to the emergency room. So and it, so, it, so help yeah. us understand, like peeling the onion a little bit on on the issue. Maybe some demographics on who's making these calls. Is it because of a lack of accessibility to other care? Does calling nine one one seem like the only option? So it depends. Different uh, demographics will overutilize for different reasons. You definitely have certain people who will call because of a lack of access to routine care. And that's one of the big social impact aims that we have is connecting people to the most appropriate care provider to increase access to routine care. Um, Then you also have people who are maybe um, part of an elderly population that uh, have frequent healthcare concerns. They may be low acuity in nature, um, but because of mobility challenges or older age, they'll call 911 uh, and overutilize when they would be more appropriately seen, maybe at an urgent care center or going to their primary care physician. Um, and then sometimes it's also driven by having great coverage uh, and utilizing that coverage. If you 
you know, don't have a copay for the ER uh, as part of your, your health care benefit package. So it really depends on which population that we're talking about. But what we found is that from Medicaid to Medicare and also commercially insured patients that they all overutilize to a certain degree. And can you define overutilize? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the clearest example would be something like toe pain. Uh, that's why, why I bring that one up. Sure. No, but I think it's, it's a great example. But, what, you know, how do you draw that line yeah, to say, so you know, that is this person was, you know, overreacting or, or it was an unnecessary call? Sort of what would you consider appropriate reaction or that necessary threshold for using 911 services? So emergency care is really designed to treat anything that is life-threatening, particularly within the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, Things that fall outside of that window can be seen at urgent care or with a primary care physician. Uh, So that's where I would really draw a clear distinction as if it's not life-threatening and um, it's not something that would need to be addressed in the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, Anything that falls outside of that bucket is technically not uh, emergency room level care. Uh, and there's a lot of cases where maybe folks can be seen in a week or two or, or you know, it's something that's been an ongoing issue for quite a while. And it's best seen by a primary care provider that can provide routine care and guidance and follow up with that patient. So I feel like you were headed down this path, then we interrupted, and some of this has been implicit. But in terms of the pain point, the overutilization of these types of issues, I mean, I'm just going to name a few things that come to mind for me. So one is you're holding up potentially the phone lines with 911 operators. You are, you know, potentially using emergency resources like ambulances and sort of the the first responders, um, you know, that time and that resource. And then really like the ER room, ER doctor, you know, bandwidth. You know, are those sort of key issues that your company's trying to address or did I miss some or was I wrong? Yeah, no, you're you're spot on there. So the when you think about the two really big areas where it has a negative impact, it's with uh, ambulance availability. So there's a finite number of ambulances available in any city, no matter how large it is at any given time. And what will happen is something called code zero events. And that means that there are zero ambulances available at the time of the call. In some cities, this can happen daily. Some it can happen weekly. Um, where you can call and you'll find that the wait time, instead of being what is the ideal benchmark of nine minutes, can be 15, 20, or sometimes up to 30 minutes waiting for an ambulance. Um, I've actually called before, and the wait for an ambulance was about an hour and a half after a car accident. So, yeah, it can, can, depending on the city size, it can really be an issue. Um, And a lot of that is driven by non-emergency use of these finite resources because once an ambulance is dispatched and caring for a patient, they can't leave that patient even if they discover that it's not an emergency and go to see someone that actually has an emergency. They need to finish with that patient, drop them off at the hospital or wherever they need to go. Uh, So that's one main thing is related to ambulance availability. And then the other big piece is overcrowding in the emergency room. So I think people are probably more familiar with this challenge, but there are long wait times in the ER and um, that can have a significant impact on patients who actually are there for true emergency reasons. Um, there's a study that came out that said that if you go to the emergency room on a day that it's overcrowded with a true emergency, it can actually increase your risk of death by 8.9%. So 
So Whoa. those are the two major Versus what's areas. the alternative of not going to the emergency room? Well, these are this, that's the impact on patients like, that have The rate is that much higher on crowded days than exactly, not crowded exactly. days. Holy cow, Zoni. A reminder to our listeners that we are talking to Chanel Fields, CEO and founder of MD Ally, which is sort of disrupting and adding to the, the 911 call process. All right. So yeah. what, is MDL, what does MD Ally do about this big problem? And well, and mm-hmm. for our listeners, it's MD as in like doctor. Yes. M- yeah. MD Ally. Exactly. Um, so what we're doing is integrating triage and telehealth services into the 911 dispatch process. And so when a caller calls in, they'll still speaking to, they'll still be speaking to a dispatcher first. That will take them through a series of questions. That will be how the acuity level is determined. Those systems are already in place today. And so if someone is calling with a low acuity concern, they'll have the option with MDLI in place to speak to a physician right away. So instead of taking an ambulance, going to the ER, having a long wait time, they'll actually be able to talk to a physician immediately that will determine the most appropriate site of care and then either deliver on-demand telehealth care right away or uh, telehealth care as in virtual care for um, folks who don't know what that means or set them up with an appointment at an urgent care center or with a primary care physician and um, arrange alternate transportation if there's uh, a barrier to actually getting to those appointments. So what's the actual process like? So, you know, I've called 911. Now I wonder if I was an over an appropriate user, an overuser here. Um, I'm sure not. Is someone asked that question, like I call 911, someone from MD Ally answers and says, would you like to proceed with your call to 911 or would you like to speak to this startup triage service? You know what I mean? Like what's that experience like for the patient and how does that impact adoption rate? Yeah, so great question. The experience on the front end is actually the same. It'll remain the same. So the process that is in place for determining acuity level is, Fairly, it's very efficient, um, and we don't want to get in the place. So this of that. is the nine one one call responder saying, "Like, what's your emergency?" And you describe it. That all stays the same. That all stays the same. So you will go through what's called an emergency medical dispatching process. Uh, they'll ask you the same series of questions that are in place today, and it's only after that process is complete that MDLI would come in to place. Got it. So once it's determined that it's low acuity, then you would be given the option to either proceed with getting an ambulance dispatched uh, and going to the hospital, or you'd have a new additional option to speak to a physician that can deliver personalized care uh, right away. That sounds great. So when I call now, um, you know, there, there are those initial questions, 911, what's your emergency? And then it, it's several questions. Do I already have an option to sort of, I, I do have an option to sort of say no, like, okay, yeah, this probably isn't an emergency. But I'm guessing that right now the the dispatcher, you know, isn't dispensing medical advice to be like, yeah, you can wait. Right? Like, Correct. So, they're not trained medical so professionals. So they're, they're now right. just giving an additional option to be like, would you like to hang up? Or would you like to have an ambulance dispatched? Or would you like to go down this MD ally path? Is that sort of, I mean, at the very high level, how it works? Yeah. So for the most part, when you're, when people call in to 911, it's genuinely because they feel they have an, an emergency concern. Sure. Um, so there's 100, we give the patient 100% benefit of the doubt. We're just empowering them with an additional viewpoint and medical guidance uh, in real time. So if you, let's say, went through uh, the 
emergency medical dispatching questioning process. At the end of it, it turns out that your topane is not um, life threatening. Life threatening. Then you would be given the option to speak to a provider right away uh, and get some additional guidance on the most appropriate side of care. The decision still rests with the caller at any point in time during this. Um, And then, if you did want to speak to a physician, that's when you would come over to MD Ally, and we would facilitate whatever level of care you're you're interested in. But you could still say, I want to take an ambulance and go to the emergency room. Now, how does payment work in terms of, you know, the traditional way that a ER visit and an ambulance ride would be covered versus payment to MD Ally? Yeah, so we are, we don't charge the caller or the patient anything. Uh, so they wouldn't be charged for going through this process. It's as, it's as free to them as utilizing 911 services is today. Uh, so... Another thing is we don't charge the EMS system to the dispatch centers either. Our revenue model is actually based off of provider organizations and payers and um, around providing additional value on that end of the spectrum. So from the caller's perspective, they're not going to be charged for the the telehealth visit um, or for the triage services. It would be uh, our costs are actually covered by our our clients, which are provider organizations and payers that are on the platform. Excellent. A reminder to our listeners that we are talking to Chanel Fields, CEO and founder of MD Ally, which is sort of disrupting and adding to the the 911 call process. All right. So um, just unpacking. So I call, you know, 911, what's your emergency, blah, blah, blah. Not not life-threatening. Let's, you know, I'd like to talk, go through MD Ally. Um, I'm then put in touch with, you know, some caregiver, a physician, a nurse, nurse practitioner or something to give me actual medical advice. So, mm-hmm. you know, because it's telehealth, I actually don't have a lot of experience with telehealth um, in, in sort of real time. You know, maybe my pen med here at the University of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. like is a great sort of online platform, but telehealth, as you're describing, and I don't have a lot of experience with. So, um, you know, going on Sandy's question around payment, um, you know, how do you sort of continue the process, given that it's sort of like live and real time? Um, you've you as the company have recruited these these caregivers and, you know, medical professionals. Talk a little bit more about your business model in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. So you would as the, from the college perspective, you would come through, you'd be um, provided with a physician that would facilitate a telehealth visit. And just to clarify for folks that aren't familiar with telehealth, that is just virtual care. So it's audio, visual, virtual care that is enabled in real time. Um, So once that uh, is determined as the most appropriate site of care for you, let's say versus us setting you up with an appointment at um, a brick and mortar facility, we would facilitate that care visit and our providers are able to bill for reimbursement from uh, the Medicaid, Medicare, or the commercial payer. So after that care visit is uh, facilitated, that's when our providers would actually be able to, in the same method and way that they are able to today, uh, via telehealth, traditional telehealth platforms, they would be able to bill for reimbursement from the uh, caller's provider payer organization. 
so it's super, that they're a member of. So it's super interesting because I haven't, again, I didn't know the telehealth space that well, and, and it's, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm having all these thoughts as we go through here, that the intermediation of, of um, physicians, especially that are interested in giving telehealth as an option, is really interesting. I mean, where, like, how do you attract those clients if they're not already part of, you know, like my primary care physician could just offer that service to me, who's an existing client. But, you know, for, for, for others that are like, sure, like sign me up. This is a really, really interesting sort of intermediary point where it's like, Hey, you can, you know, I'll, I'll attract them from the 911 callers. Like that's, I'm just really fascinated by this concept. Yeah. What what do we know about telemedicine? Can you summarize that to Nick's point for our listeners? Are these practitioners yeah. that the, for whom this is their full-time job? Is this an on-call type of responsibility for what we'd call traditional or in-person primary care providers? Tell us, tell us what telemedicine is looking like these days. Yeah. So from, uh, I'll call it a traditional telehealth point of view, which is interesting because telehealth is fairly new and still innovative. But uh, traditional telehealth models are typically offered, I mean, they can be offered through your employer. So um, I think you mentioned my Penn Med, they'll uh, have partnerships with different telehealth platforms that maybe have providers that are on call for their employees. Um, also, payer organizations can uh, offer their members telehealth services. Or there are, like you've mentioned, primary care doctors. They might be small doc practices, medium-sized practices that will add uh, video uh, virtual care component to their private practice for their patient uh, panel. So traditionally, that's how providers will will deliver telehealth care through one of those avenues. Um, But let's say the bulk of it is provide organizations that will add that uh, feature or uh, service for their patients that are um, that they're already seeing the ability to do follow-up virtually uh, and they'll what they'll do is they'll use uh, platforms that are cloud-based platforms that are enabled uh, and they'll sign on to those maybe pay some sort of monthly fee in order to use that technology to facilitate that virtual care with their patients So that's the traditional way that telehealth is provided. What we're doing is it's unique in the sense that we're really focused on the the impact in the EMS space and optimizing care delivery for emergency medical services. And that's something that we've really been drawn to as a, a unique point of care because of the impact that it has to the community uh, for some of the, the reasons that we discussed at the beginning of the call related to the impact it has on non, uh, non-emergency non callers and not getting the best access to long-term routine care, but then also the impact that it has to callers that are having a true emergency and maybe having to wait longer for care. And so we're taking that traditional model of how telehealth is delivered and changing it to uh, really address this super important concern uh, an area in the 911 space by integrating it into that dispatch process. So from a technology standpoint, it's a bit different because instead of going to your doctor's website um, that maybe you're seeing already and logging onto a portal there, this is really introduced to you through the 911 calling call flow. Um, so you don't have to download an application or anything of that nature. And it is to provide support specifically for folks that are calling into 911 
and maybe believe that they're experiencing some sort of acute concern, but need additional guidance or an additional viewpoint when it turns out to be low acuity. Because this also costs patients a lot of money, right? If you go to the ER, you could be stuck with a huge bill mm-hmm. um, that was unnecessary. Sure. In that case. Just the ambulance ride alone. Mm-hmm. The ambulance ride alone, yeah, that can cost be the most expensive transportation you could possibly take. Yeah. Um, and so it was really important for us to take that traditional model and adopt it in this space because of the impact for patients, um, both across the spectrum from emergency concerns to non-emergency. A reminder to our listeners that we are talking to Chanel Fields, CEO and founder of MD Ally, which is sort of disrupting and adding to the, the 911 call process. Chanel, is there any concern that folks are going to start to use this to, you know, not take advantage, but try to maximize this resource by calling with non-emergencies? Because it sounds like the most efficient way to reach a medical professional, right? Versus sort of creating a portal and logging in and having your primary care. I, you know, I've worked with, you know, different sort of patient populations. And I know folks who certainly would say, like, this is the fastest way for me to get an answer to my question, are you worried about flooding like the 911 call systems by people calling just to get access to an MDLI doctor quickly? Uh, so that is something that we have definitely thought about. I think it would be a, a good problem to have in the sense that people wouldn't be, people that are overutilizing now would maybe think instead, okay, let me reach MDLI. So what we would do in that case is once we've seen someone, part of our follow-up process is presenting them and educating the patient on the most appropriate avenues for care in the future. Um, And if they want to reach MDLI and utilize our services, then we'll have a direct line. So one, the main thing to avoid is for them not to call, think that they need to call 911 in order to get this guidance in the future. Got it. So they'll be given a number like, hey, if your toe ever hurts again, and that's all it is, rather than calling 911, call 1-800-whatever. Exactly. And we'll have the ability to route them to their primary care provider once we've established that relationship for them. And so you, you're going through emergency management systems. Um, is, it, is it just the city level? And if so, so, sort of what's your point of entry there? And then, you know, where are you now? Like sort of number of, of locations? Yeah, so um, we, it, it is the city level. So it can be city or county. Um, 911, the way that it works in the U.S. is that each uh, city or county, depending on the size of it, um, municipality will operate run their own um, emergency medical services through their 911 dispatch centers. So that sometimes combines fire, police, and EMS. And so when we um, approach the city, we that's the level that we go in at, so not a state or federal level. Um, as far as where we are today, we're actually launching in market this year, so second half of this year, um, to roll out um, general availability in January of 2020. So the stage that we're at right now is we have an early adopter program where we're piloting this with a few different cities. Um, at the end of this year, we filled up uh, the slots for, for those pilots. So we're excited about that. Uh, and then we'll roll out general availability in early 2020 to coincide with actually a really exciting initiative um, that CMS, uh, so the Centers for Medicaid and Mer- Medicare, announced uh, related to their support of non-emergency 911 triage um, that also starts in January 2020. That's our time.
timeline. Excellent. As we come into the last minute of our segment here with you, Chanel, tell us, um, you gave us a little bit of a teaser of, of what's next. Where can folks learn more? Yeah. So I'm assuming we, we're, we're not encouraging everyone to call 911 <laughs> to learn more. No, no. Uh, there's an alternative, thankfully. Uh, they can visit our website, so www.mdally.com. Uh, is the best place to learn more about MDLI and to reach us directly. Um, you can email info at MDLI.com and we'll get back to you within 24 to 48 hours. Uh, but that's the best place to, to reach us. So please don't call 911 right now. Excellent. Well, Chanel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It is particularly impressive that you've built this business alongside being a Wharton MBA student. And uh, we wish you Congratulations on your graduation upcoming and on uh, the future of MD Ally. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank Excellent. you guys for having me. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us, Chanel. This is Dollars and Change here on Sirius XM Business Radio Channel 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.